Now we need more action without which we find that faith without works is dead. Let's look at steps eight and nine. So when we take our fifth step, my guy goes home for an hour. In one hour, he's going to be at step nine. One hour. And they're like, how the hell is that possible? That ain't possible. What the book says, look at six, answer those questions, say the prayer, make a list. Tell me you ain't in nine. You're in nine. He's like, no way. Now, don't get me wrong. This is something we're going to practice for a lifetime. But you're damn sure mechanically through the steps at that point. As soon as I say that prayer, it says we need action and more action, which we find faith without works is dead. Let's look at eight and nine. We have a list of all persons we have harmed who were willing to make amends. We made it. Key words. When we took inventory, T-Bone said, bring me your inventory. I said, I can't. He said, what do you mean you can? So I burn it. <laughs> you did what? And I said, I burn it. And he said, why the hell would you do that? <laughs> I said, well, I was in the meeting and I heard. If you get done, you burn it. You guys know him. <laughs> what a dumbass, he says. <laughs> he said, I've tried to teach you for a long time. That the things you hear in that meeting, done those meetings versus what you read in this book are two different things, and you're never going to get it. You burnt the inventory, huh? I said, yeah. He said, well, that sentence is out. Your eight-step list just went up in flames whenever you burned it. Wow. See, I needed it here. Now, see, Mike had me to rifle through the inventory, but he also had me to set prayerfully. That's his... That's his uh, spiritual name that's his indian name is prayerfully he had me to prayerfully ask god to remind me of some people that i'd harmed that might not have came up in that inventory and i had a pretty good list of names i had a about 150 there <clears throat> i didn't burn it with mike i burned it with t-bone <laughs> we got past that by the way but it was ugly and um, so anyway, I uh, I didn't burn it. So I brought it back to Mike, and Mike said, we're going to look for one thing, and that's harms. He said, now, some of these, you just merely owe an apology. We're going to scratch those names out, and you make an apology. Some of them, you just need to clean the air, clean it up. But the actual harms that you have done are going to remain on that list. And out of 150, I ended up with 90. And he said, David, to them all means to them all. And by God, you will do them all. Now, there was amends that was left from 25 years earlier that I never finished. I had an uncle that I'd beat out of a lot of money. And I felt he deserved it because of the way he treated me. And I'm sober when I've done this to him. Lots of money, quite a bit. He was very afraid of me because I just, you know, I just I'm so emotionally explosive back then. And so I try to call him up. He didn't want to talk to me. God, this has been years by now. I told him, I said, look, you know, I seen him at my mother's 80th birthday party and talked to him a little bit. He said, yeah, I'll come by, I'll come by. And <clears throat> Mike was on me about making these amends. He's like, man, you've got to do this. you got to do this because this is where you fell out before. You won't fall out again? I was like, no, no. And so... 
I called him up one day and he answered and then he hung up and called him back. And he's like, damn it, David, I, I just don't want to talk to you. And I said, look, man, I owe you money and I got some of it. Now he's all ears. He's ready to hear. And I said, man, I left there in a bad way. <clears throat> and I've done a lot of harm to you. Emotionally, financially, threatened you physically. Can you just come by? I said, man, I know that I owe you a lot of money, and I ain't got that much money, but I got some, and I'm willing to give it to you, and I'd like to work out the rest if you would. He said, well, I'm going to be in town tomorrow. I'll come by. I thought I'd never seen him. Sure enough, he showed up. In the meantime, I go out to my shop, and I start pulling out all of his shit that I took. Been with me for 15 years at that point. I'm sober. See, it's about a change of character. See, I'm not drinking anymore, but I'm doing shit like that, you know, running around here talking about how sober I am. And uh, he comes by. And we sit down and begin to talk, and I tell him this. I say, you know, I was wrong in what I've done, and I need you to know that I know I was wrong. And I owe you that money, and I don't have it all, but this is what I have. And if you're willing to take it and work with me, I promise you, I'll never miss a month until I pay you off. And he said, yeah, I'm willing to do that. And so... <clears throat> We made an agreement. I gave him what I had. We made an agreement. He, when, when he went to walk out, I said, by the way, I said, I got a lot of your shit. I won't get back to you. And as we was loading all that stuff up in his truck, I'm talking about battery chargers, hoop nets. I mean, you wouldn't believe all the shit I just took away from him, you know. He's like, man, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. Like, you know. And so <clears throat> he said, he turned around. He said, man. He said, if you get in buying in a month, he said, uh, don't worry about paying me. Just pay me the next month. No, no. No, I'll make sure, dude. What we agreed on is what I'm going to pay you. He said, okay. And I paid him every month safely. I never missed. It took me two more years from there. But I paid him everything that owed him. Everything. And that was amends that I left behind for 20 years. <clears throat> and so here's what happened. He went away that day, and we're not buddies anymore like we were back then. We don't fish together all the time and do all this different stuff. But you know what? I see him in town today, and he's not afraid to approach me and shake my hand. I ran into him at the clinic one day. He come over and sat by me. We talked for a long time. If I if it don't ever get any better than that, you know what? That's good enough for me. That's what we do here. I had to go back to my mama. I had to go back to my wife. Uh -huh. Big one. Big one. I had to <clears throat> had a little hand. You know, I forgot about it. He wasn't on the list. Uh, I just didn't think about it. So I'm riding around fishing one day, doing what I do, and Miss Patty calls me up and says, "Hey, why don't you meet me over here?" She said, "I got the kids. Let's go over and when I see something because they went to church and I didn't and all of that." That's all right. So I pull over there and I see my little aunt. Oh shit! Forgot about her. I forget about her. She lent me $300 to get out of jail one time, and I took off and never went back, and that had been 35 years ago. <clears throat> and so she had her daughter with her, and I owed her the man's too. And we uh, we sat down to eat that day, and they were on one corner. They got way the hell away from us, like always, way down there on the end. And uh, the dude came by, and I said, hey, man, I want to pay for their lunch. Make damn sure that... They're taken care of before they leave from here. 
And so we get out and I tell her, I said, you know, this is going to give me opportunity to make that amends. All right, whatever you want to do. And so <clears throat> next day I get a phone call. I'm expecting it. She's like, David, I just wanted to thank you for taking care of our lunch yesterday. I didn't expect that to happen. And I said, you know, I said, I've been thinking about you quite a bit. I said, is there any way I could come by to see you? I don't want much of your time, and I, I don't want anything from you. Can I just come by for a couple minutes? I'd like to see you. I ain't seen you in a lot of years. And she said, yeah, it'd be good. Come by. So I run to the bank, and I grab $1,000. I go to her. I'd only got her for 300 but this has been 35 years. It should have been way more than 1000 by now if you added the interest into it. And so I go to her and I say, you know, we talked for a little bit. And I said, do you remember the time that you bailed me out of jail with your money? And that was all the money you had to take care of bills. And she said, oh, I remember, yeah. I said, I'd like to give that back. <laughs> and she was like, you know, I don't want your money, David. And I said, you know, it's not my money. It's your money. I should have came back. I never did. And so <clears throat> I would really like for you to take it. And she said, are you sure? I said, oh, I'm more sure. <laughs> so I handed her all that money. And she said it was only $300. I said, it's been 35 years ago. I said, that probably ain't enough. You want to add up interest? She said, no, no. She said, you sure? I said, I'm more than sure. I just need you to be sure if that's the right amount. And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. And I walked away from that day giving her a big hug. And every time I see her in town now, we wave, we smile, we got a good relationship. Hell, she invited me to come over for Thanksgiving. I wasn't even allowed back in the house ever again. We get to heal here. It was the coolest thing, you know. And I could tell you story after story after story. Whenever I go into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, I'd hell of a lot rather hear about an immense story as a drunk log any day of the week because that's how we heal here. And that's what the book is telling us at this point. It's saying... The last couple of sentences before the last paragraph there on page six, um, 76, if we haven't the will to do that, we ask. That's a prayer. That's the eight-step prayer. We ask until it comes. Remember, it was agreed in the beginning that we go to English for victory over alcohol. So if we look at the top of 77, it says we might prejudice them. At the moment, we're trying to put our lives in order. It's not an end in itself. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be a maximum service to God and people about us. So I used to run around saying that all the time. You know, my real purpose is to be a maximum service to God and the people about us. And T-Bone pulled me outside the meeting one night. And he said, you know what? You don't even know what the hell you're talking about. I said, well, hell, it's what the book says. He said, no, it ain't. No, it ain't. I said, damn sure it is. It says, you know, that... My real purpose is to be a maximum. He said, no. It says that your real purpose is to fit yourself. You're leaving out that part. <laughs> wow. Well, how do I get fit? If I want to go to the gym and get fit, I'm going to have to work out. I'm going to have to spiritually work out if I want to get fit in order to fulfill my real purpose. Now, a soldier, a good soldier, he fits himself for duty. No matter what that duty may be, when that time comes, he's fit for it. He knows. That's the same thing we do here. We spiritually fit ourselves because we're fixing to walk in. See, I told 
Steve on one time, I said, I don't really want to go and give my life to God. And he said, why? He said, for one thing, you don't give your life to God. You turn it over to the care of God. But why in the hell would you not want to do that? I said, because I don't want to end up in China or somewhere, you know. And he said, I think God loves the Chinese a hell of a lot more than that. So don't worry about going to China. <laughs> he said, your ass ain't going to China. Where you're going is out to make amends to other people for the harm that you've done right here in the U.S. And I was like, oh, man. And he was absolutely right. So... <laughs> It would have been good if I'd have made them all back then, but I didn't. And it's very important that we make all the amends we can without bringing on further harm, because if we don't, we're going to get in big trouble here. Trust me. We're going to get in big trouble. So, toward the bottom of that paragraph on 77, it says, Our man is sure to be impressed with a sincere right, uh, desire to set right the wrong. That's what an amends is. He's going to be more interested in a spiritual demonstration of goodwill than our talk of spiritual discoveries. I'd rather see what he's doing in his life and hear about it in a meeting all day long. We don't use this as an excuse from shying away from the subject of God. When it'll serve any good purpose, we're willing to announce our convictions with tact and common sense, but that's only if necessary. So look at this great promise, the question of how to approach the man we hated. I love that. See, it doesn't say I hate him anymore. It says hated. That's a promise. Wow. Maybe as he's done us more harm than we've done him, and though we've acquired a better attitude, we're still not too keen about admitting our faults. See, it don't say nothing about his. We're talking about ours. But nevertheless, with the person we dislike, and that was the uncle, and many more, that was just one example. We take a bit in our teeth. It's harder to go to an enemy but, uh, than a friend, but we find it much more beneficial. We go to him in a helpful and a forgiving spirit. See, that's the amen. That's what I did with the aunt. That's what I did with the uncle confessing our former ill feelings and expressing our regret. And so that's what I do. I regret what happened. I was wrong, and I need you to know I was wrong. And as long as you're not asking me to do anything illegal or immoral, I stand ready to make that amends right now. And that's what I told him. If you ask me to do something crazy, I ain't going to do that. <clears throat> I've never failed to have a good outcome. Whenever I've done this, page 78, middle of the page. Most alcoholics owe money. Anybody come in here owing money other than me? <laughs> well, this is what we do about it. We don't dodge our creditors. They always want to run from them. And then try to convince everybody how tough I am. Telling them what we're trying to do. Not what we're doing, but what we're trying to do. We make no bones about our drink, and they probably know about it anyway, whether we think so or not. Nor are we afraid of disclosing our alcoholism on the theory that we may cause financial harm. The only reason that I'm ever afraid of that is because I'm afraid it's going to cause financial harm to me. I don't really have anything to do with them. I'm more worried about me when I'm in that state of mind. But approached in this way, the most ruthless creditor will sometimes surprise us. Now, that's exactly what happened to me. Whenever I worked for a coal company back in McAllister back in 2008, I'd been sober for a long time. But I took advantage of that good company. Even though they were paying me more than six figures a year, I didn't feel like it was enough. I needed more, so I started taking from them. And I did it in such a way that they could never track it back to me ever again. 
But when I went through this work in 2019 with Mike, this came up again. I was like, shit, I did not want to see this, man. We're talking a lot of money, a lot. But it kept coming up through the years. and kept coming. Every time I tried to work the steps, it'd come up. And I just told him, I said, man, they're going to they're gonna put me away. If I do this, they're going to put me away for good. And I can't risk that. And he said, you're going to have to find a way to get over that fear. You got to. Or you're going back to what you always done. And so I remember I, when Zoom came around, I connected with a bunch of guys out of Massachusetts, and one of them was an attorney. And so I started sponsoring them through this work and helping them go through the process. And one of them came to me, and they said, if there's ever anything that we can do for you, you let us know. <laughs> oh, my God, now that you mentioned it. <laughs> so I started talking to him and asking him a bunch of questions. And he informs me that that happened more than 10 years ago, and there's no way that they can lock me up. The only way that they can ever lock me up is over murder or some some other things, but that wasn't one of them. So very reluctantly, I go to these people. They're like, man, we can't trace this back. There's no way. That's forgiven, gone. It's gone. I carried that around all the years. And see, Mike told me, he said, Dave, when you go to somebody to make amends and they tell you, no, you don't say, no, I'm an alcoholic anonymous today. I have to make that amends. He said, if that man is humble enough to accept your amends and you tell him what you want to do, who are you to tell him, no, I can't do it the way you two just told me to do it. We got to do it the way that I say that we got to do it. Our book don't say nothing about that kind of shit. We hear that in the meetings and we live by that. And man, we get sick. So what happened was, intuitively, I knew that I needed to do something, something, because that's a lot of money. So what I ended up doing, and this intuitively came through me after a sweat lodge one day, I was sitting there and I thought, you know what, that money needs to go somewhere. Who have I hurt the most? And so I went home and I talked with Miss Patty about it and said, what do you think? I said, I really need to give it a good part of it to uh, to a homeless shelter for women. There's a whole story up behind that. And I feel like giving the other half of it to a, a pregnancy crisis center. There's a whole story up behind that. And she said, I think it's a good idea. She said, we got the biggest part of that money. Just go ahead and take it. And I said, no, no, no. <laughs> the other part of my intuitiveness tells me that I'm going to work for every damn bit of this. I'm not taking it from us. You wasn't in on that, and I'm not going to take that money from you. I'm going to start doing extra jobs. I'm going to start working overtime. My annual bonuses that I receive, I'm going to start putting them back. And pretty soon, slowly but slowly but slowly but slowly, I start building this money up. And I'm damn close to that very last amends because, see, I've made all 89 of them. That's the only one left. And I'm close. I'm within $1,500 of it now, and we're talking several thousand of dollars and I have a good feeling here probably within the next few months I'm going to be able to disperse that check both ways and those amends are clean it's over after all those years wow so we get to heal here we get to heal look at what it says right here arranging the best deal we can we let these people know we're sorry wow I told an alcoholic, you don't run around and say you're sorry in a man. My book says that's bullshit. 
says right here, we let these people know we're sorry. I don't walk around with my head down like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, I need to do something about it. How can I right the wrong? I'm sorry for what I've done, but I damn sure say I'm sorry. Our drinking has made us slow to pay. We must lose our fear of creditors, no matter how far down we have to go, because we're allowed to drink if we're afraid to face them. And that's what my fear was all of those years that I was running from this. Perhaps we've committed a criminal offense that might land us in jail if it were known to the authorities. We may be short in our accounts and unable to make good. We've already admitted this in the confidence with another person. Remember, we did that in step five. But we're sure we'd be in prison or lose our job if we were known. Maybe it's only a pay offense since it's bad in the expense account. Man, I sure did that. It was more than a petty offense. It was more like a major. Most of us have done that sort of thing. So maybe we've divorced and remarried, but we haven't kept up alimony. Number one, she's indignant, has a, has a worn out for our rest. That's a common form of trouble, too. All those these reparations take innumerable forms. There are some general principles which we find guiding. Reminding ourselves, and I need to remind myself of this often. I have decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience. See, not just get sober. We ask. Anytime I see those two words in this book, that means there's a prayer. We ask that we be given the strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. And I pray that prayer often, often. We may lose our position, our reputation, or face jail, but we're willing. We have to be. We must not shrink at anything. So in the next five minutes here, we'll take a break here at four, but let's look at um, <clears throat> the bottom of page 80. There's some good reading in between there, but for time's sake, we're going to drop to the bottom of page 80. The chances are that we have domestic troubles. <laughs> Pretty good chance of that, huh? Perhaps we're mixed up with women in a fashion we wouldn't care to have, have advertised. Maybe we did have done that sober, huh? We doubt if in this respect, alcoholics are fundamentally much worse than other people. Boy, I'm sure glad to read that. But drinking does complicate sex relations in the home. After a few years, an alcoholic with an alcoholic, the wife gets worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative. How can she be anything else? So the husband begins to feel lonely and sorry for himself. He looks, begins to look around the nightclubs or the AA meeting or the local conferences or whatever it may be, huh? For the equivalent, something besides liquor. Perhaps he's having a secret and exciting affair, affair with a girl who understands. In fairness, we must say that she un, that she may understand. But what are we going to do about a thing like that? My God. A man so involved often feels very remorseful at times, especially if he's married to a low and courageous girl who's literally gone through hell for him. And I promise you that was my experience. Whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. Yeah, we're going to have to do something about it. If our sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? Not always. We think if she knows in a general way we've been wild, should we tell her in detail? I wrestled with this, and a lot of guys bring this to me. Their counselors will tell them, you need to write a disclosure letter. You need to bring it here, bring your wife here, and you read it in front of her and tell her what you've done. I told him, dude, don't do that. Don't do that, man. He's like, no, he told me, I don't give a damn what he told you. The book says right here, he said, I'm reading this right here, David. Look at this. It says, you know, uh, whatever the situation, we got to do something. If you don't know, we don't tell her in a general way. Y'all, y'all, undoubtedly, we should, we should admit, admit our fault. I said, dude, your fault wasn't what you did. Your fault was what drove you to do what you did. You better start talking to her about that. Don't go in detail and lay that kind of emotional harm onto that woman. You know what that's going to do to her? 
that's going to bring trauma unlike you've ever seen in your life. There's going to be hell to pay up over that. You can do what you want, but if you're seeking my experience in this, don't do that. Don't do that. Because if you do, you're fixing to lay ground for a lot of hell to come for a lot of people. So <clears throat> I never, ever, ever tell a guy to do that. So whatever the situation, we're going to have to do something about it. She may insist on knowing the all the particulars. She'll want to know who the woman is, where she is. We feel we ought to say to her that we have no right to involve another person. And at that point, you better start putting up your guard. Probably, you're probably going to get the hell slapped out of him. And so we are sorry for what we have done, and God willing, it shall not be repeated. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further. And that's what I tell them. Don't go no further with that, man. Though there may be justifiable exceptions, and though we wish to lay down no rule of any sort, we've often found this the best course to take. Well, look how Bill writes. He must have got caught, right? He's like some of the rest of us. Well, our design for living is not a one-way street. It's good for the wife. Yeah, yeah. You go, you go tell your wife that. See what happens. If we can forget, so can she. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's better, however, that one does not needlessly name a person upon whom she can invent jealousy. Why don't we take a break? Looks like we kind of left off on page 82 there. There's a long section across here about a man. <clears throat> I think kind of like the first step, that's one, that's one of the longer sections of the book. And from my experience, I see why, you know, because this is the one step that, you know, we kind of do as we do and get a little relief from and think we're good. The problem with that is, is I never awaken spiritually completely like I like I should in here. I mean, I grow and I'm sober and life gets better and things are okay, but there's still something missing. <clears throat> and that's been my experience. <clears throat> so we're going to get out of talking about everything we were talking about. <laughs> Let's do that. Let's drop down to the bottom of page 82. Now call it like a tornado, even sober, right? Roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. I can guarantee you. <laughs> I, I know people that would agree with that 100%. Way relationships are dead and affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have uh, kept the home in turmoil. <clears throat> Very important sentence for me. We feel a man is unthinking when he says sobriety is enough. We hear that all the time, just. Just stay sober. That's all you got to do. Just stay sober. Bullshit. It's so much more than that. We have to We have to have that. Don't get me wrong. But it's far from that being it. And our book tells us right there, a man's unthinking when he says something like that. We don't just drink and go to meetings. Don't drink and go to meetings. He's like the farmer who came up out of the <coughs> cyclone cellar <coughs> to find his... Uh, Home room to his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter here, Ma, and glad that the wind stopped blowing. And that's kind of how I felt. Every time I go through one of those bouts and come out on the other side, I'd be like, glad the wind quit blowing, you know. Hell of a storm yet to come, though, <laughs> for most of us. There's a long period of reconstruction ahead, and that's talking about within inside of me. I need to heal in here so that I can make it right out here. We must take the lead on making these amends. 
a remorseful mumbling that we are sorry will fit the bill at all. Walter sat down with the family and frankly analyzed the past as we now see it. Because see, now I'm a different man. I've had a spiritual experience. Things are different. Being very careful not to criticize them, their defects may be glaring, but chances are that our own actions are partly responsible. So we clean house with family. Now this is going to start <clears throat> what's talking about 12 prayers, 12 visions, and 12 meditations. This is one. Asking. Anytime I see that word, that means pray. Asking each morning in meditation. So there's the prayer, there's the meditation. That our Creator show us. Anytime I'm asking Him to show me something, then I must have vision. So there's the vision. That they show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. And I ask Mike, do you really do that on a daily basis? Honestly. Did every single day. I never miss. So I started doing it every single day. <laughs> I don't miss. The spiritual life is not a theory we have to live it. You'll hear it in here all the time. Works if you work it. Work, work, work. So you're worth it. You know, I mean, you'll hear all of that chanting bullshit. And that's all good for hugs and loves. But the book says we have to live it. It doesn't say anything about working it. See, for 25 years, I knew it. I could talk it. I could impress you. I could make you laugh. I could make you cry, you know. But I wasn't living it. <clears throat> so unless one's family expresses a desire to live upon spiritual principles, we think we are not urgent. I'll have guys come all the time and they say, you know, I just can't be with her anymore. She won't see my way alive. Always bring them back to this sentence. Unless one's family expresses the desire to live upon spiritual principles, we think we're not ought to urge him. See, Miss Patty has never really come back to Alcoholics Anonymous to this day. And that's not to say she never will. I don't know. That's not my business now. It's hers. It says here we think we not ought to urge them. We should not talk incessantly to them about spiritual matters. I don't talk to her about the steps and all that stuff anymore. I just don't. They will change in time. And here's the only way that they're going to change. My behavior is going to convince them more than my words ever did. But see, I'm good at talking a lot of shit. I could do that drunk, and I could definitely do it sober. So it's not about my words. Watch what I do, not what I say. You want to know how to find the sponsor in Alcoholics Anonymous? Hang out there about 30 minutes before the meeting starts and listen to all the chatter and the bullshit. Come inside of here for an hour and listen to what they're saying around the table, and then go back out there 30 minutes after it's over and listen to that shit again. And if that shit out there don't line up with that shit in here, you got the wrong guy. And see, I didn't know that for a long time. I just thought that's the way it was. No, my behavior convinces anybody, not just the family, a newcomer, more than my words ever will. I don't miss words a whole lot. <clears throat> I just don't anymore. We must remember that 20 or 10 or 20 years of drunkenness would make a skeptic out of anyone. Now, there may be some wrongs that we can never fully right. That was on my A-step list. He and I went through those, and he said, you can never make those right without bringing more harm. You can't do it. He reminded me of this right here. We don't worry about it. If we can honestly say to ourselves that we would ride them if we could, and I would. Some people cannot be seen. <clears throat> That little boy drowned at six years old. He'll never be seen again on this side. How the hell do I make amends to him? 
lot of women that I'd hurt through the years with my conduct, even sober, they were dead now. How do I make amends for that? Well, this next sentence says we're going to send an honest letter. And so this started with T-Bone and ended with Mike. <clears throat> the six-year-old boy, I wrote an honest letter from my heart as best I could at the time. I went out as best I could in the native way. My spirit connected with his, and I read the letter. Put sage and sweet grass over it. We burn it. Smoke going up signified that I turned it over to the creator. With the women, <clears throat> I went down to T-Bones one day, and it was just he and I. We sat down and went through a sweat together, a long, hard sweat, hard sweat with that dude. And uh, after it was over, he gave me some time. He's got a little lodge out in the middle of the woods. I mean, you can't see nobody or anything for miles and miles. And I sat there that day, and letter after letter after letter after letter, I read all of that stuff off. A lot of people. And that day, I just felt a sense of peace come over me. And the same thing. You never burn anything in the sacred fire. You guys have been to the sweat. You know that. You throw something in that fire, the men just scalp you down quick. <laughs> it's like, don't do that. Flip a cigarette over in that fire. Watch what happens. Uh-huh. That ain't a good idea. But that day, he told me, he said, throw them letters in that fire when you're done. <laughs> I was like, are you sure? <laughs> I want to know. Are you are you being seriously bullshitting with me? You know. He said, no, throw them in there. <laughs> and so that's what I've done. Wrapped them in sage and sweet grass and tobacco, and I throw them in that fire, and they burnt, and they went up. That's how I made amends to people that cannot be seen anymore. There may be valid reason for postponement in some cases, but we don't delay if we can. If it can be avoided, we should be sensible, tactful, and considerate, and humble without being served all or scraping. I'm not going to do anything illegal or anymore. Don't ask me to do that on an amends. It's just not going to happen. As God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone, even her. I was wrong, and I know I was wrong. And she knows that I know I was wrong, but I do not crawl anymore. I stand on my feet today. So if we're painstaking about this phase of our development, take that word painstaking, turn it around. Turn it around, it means taking pain. So we're going to take a little bit of pain here. A bit of emotional pain that's going to hurt for a minute. But I promise you what's fixing to come up on the other side of that, my God. We fixing to experience God in a way that we never had before. We're going to be amazed before we're halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. Why could I never do that before? Because self would always rob me of that. It would tell me ways and convince me of ways that I could be free and, and be happy. <clears throat> Never worked. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. How, why would I now? See, I ran from that for years in these amends. I don't regret that past no more. I've faced them people. I've faced all the fears. I don't need to shut the door on that anymore. We will comprehend those words serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale I, we, we have gone, we will see how our experience will be, can benefit others. I've seen that benefit people all over the world, what happened to me back then. And that was nothing I'd done, I promise you. See, what happened <clears throat> was I left AA. She asked me to not go back. 
for a long time. And that was hard. It was hard. But I did it. And by the grace of God, Zoom came along at that time. And see, a lot of people have a lot of bad things to say about Zoom. I love it. it saved my life. Because, see, I was able to connect with people. And when I got through this and I found this new freedom and this new happiness and I knew serenity and I knew peace, I began to talk about this freely of what happened to me. People started attracting to that. On Zoom, they were like, hey, can you come here and speak? Can you come here and speak? Can you come over here? I think it started out in the UK and then it went to Scotland, then it went to Africa, and then it went to Iraq and Afghanistan. And it was like, all of a sudden, you know, I was starting to speak in all these places about what happened to me and then what I'd done through this process after emotionally bottomed out. And people started reaching out through WhatsApp and, and, uh, you know, asking, hey, man, can you take me through this process the way that you've described? And so I started working with guys from overseas. And when I started taking them through this process, I drive a semi-truck, so I drive all day long. They would call me like at 4.30 or 5.30 in the morning. I would read with them through the book. I could do this while I was going down the road because I know the book pretty good by memory, plus I have it here. And so, you know, I just I would start working with them. I'd read them through this process the way that we've done here today. I'd get them the inventory. They would write inventory. They'd come back. This one got sober, and pretty soon another one came, and he got sober. And this kept growing and growing and growing in less than a year's time. <clears throat> there was about 30 of us going through this process, and about 15 of them had made it to amends. And so I was going on vacation a couple of years ago there, and they were sending me all these tent sets, the way that we're about to look at here in a few minutes, maybe if we, we get to that point. And um, I was like, guys, I'm going on vacation. I'd really like for you to put this in a group text to each other. They're like, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't know none of these dudes. I know you. I'm comfortable with you, not them. And so eventually I was like, I'm not asking you no more, damn it. This is the way we're doing it. They're like, okay, okay, we'll do it. And so pretty soon what would happen was a new one would join, so we'd have to start up a new group, this and that. And this one dude said, dude, you're behind the time so far. Let's just get WhatsApp. Then if you want to delete somebody or if they're not on it no more, you just take them off and you ain't got to keep changing. I'm like, you're in charge. Do it. And so he did it. And we started 10-stepping each other constantly. I got them all on Zoom one day. I said, I want you guys to meet each other. They're like, I don't know if I want to meet each other or not. So all of a sudden, I got dudes from Alaska. I got dudes from Hawaii. I got dudes from Indonesia. I got dudes from the UK. I got dudes from all over the world, Hong Kong. I mean, all these people all over the U.S. here, Florida, all over. <clears throat> and those guys start having a brotherhood and start loving each other because they start hearing each other's story and they're like, shit, we're the same. We're the same. So there's so many of us now. We decide we're going to do a Sunday evening meeting just in the lineage of Mina. And I've watched this thing go to like from 30 to, and it just grew and grew and grew and grew. And all these guys are coming in. Now, if they didn't participate, hell, we just took them off. I mean, you can't be there and read everybody else's stuff and not put any of you on. We ain't putting up with none of that. And so we're growing and we're growing and we're growing in numbers. And pretty soon this thing is getting so big, it's starting to overtake us. And I'm like, man, God is moving here. So I start speaking at all these international events uh, through Zoom, and all of a sudden, this thing is just growing and growing and growing out of control. And I'm like, man, I can't, I can't be in this anymore. I mean, I, I got too much going on. 
And so those guys stepped up and really took the lead. So when we started that 30 or 40 week book study that we're in now, we made it co-ed. And what we did was we started bringing women in and it was more of an open deal. Miss Ashley kind of takes the lead on that side of it with the women and I take the lead on it with that side of the men. And we keep that group where it ought to be. And there's what probably, would you think, Miss Ashley, 150 people on there? If, or maybe not that many. How many would you think? About 120 or so, probably. 120. <clears throat> and this thing is growing and growing and growing and growing. And we're watching people go through this work and we're watching them get well from all addictions. And man, what a powerful thing. In my darkest hour, God came through. And it was like, from there, wow, how does that happen? You know? So we will know serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we've gone, we'll see how that experience will benefit us. I can see it now. The feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. I never had interest in them before. I mean, I did some, but not like now. Self-seeking will slip away. See, I'm not seeking self anymore. I'm not seeking reliance upon it, and I'm not seeking gratification for it. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us. Intuitively, I know a lot of things today. There's a lot of things that come to me whenever I do these studies. It's just a lot of that just comes. I don't have to prepare and do all that. We'll suddenly realize God's doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They're being fulfilled among us sometimes quickly. That's the spiritual awakening. Sometimes slowly. That's the spiritual experience. But they'll always materialize if we work for them. Remember who's going to do the work when we get into this. 